You can keep up with all the episodes of the Journalism Salute by checking out our newsletter. The link is at the bottom of the show notes. Hope you'll subscribe. And let us know where you're listening from and what you think of the podcast. Email us at journalismsalute at gmail.com. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's show, we're joined by Amir Vera. Amir is a breaking news editor at CNN and the vice president of digital at the National Association of Black Journalists. Hey, Amir, thanks for joining me. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, your job is one where I kind of know what you do, but I don't think I exactly know what you do. What's, let's start it off with this, though. What's your journalism origin story? It's very funny. Uh, I love telling the story. So in high school, I, Prince George high, I went to Prince George High School in uh, Prince George, Virginia. It's 30 minutes south of Richmond. I had a friend who's older than me who was part of the newspaper staff at my high school. My high school used to have a very robust journalism staff. Shout out to Mr. Wagaman, who was the journalism instructor. And so my English teachers and my best friend, they were recommending that I join the student newspaper, to which I was like, eh, why would I do that? I was a high school athlete, too. I ran track. And my friend, he <laughs> he got me by telling me that I could get into sports games for free. And the second he said that, I signed up for the student newspaper. And so <laughs> I, I started the student. That was at the end of my sophomore year in high school. Started the school newspaper my junior year of high school. And I remember my first story was a feature previewing the upcoming volleyball season. So I just remember speaking to the players and the coaches and how easy it was. And it just clicked. I was like, I can get, I can get paid to do this like for a living. At the same time, Mark, I will tell you that as a high school athlete, you know, most high school athletes are like, well, I want to go into sports medicine or something like that. I said the same thing. I took anatomy and I realized I didn't understand anything the teacher was saying. So I was like, okay, going to stick with journalism. And here we are. So you come from a military family, as I understand. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and if there's anything in your family or heritage that lends itself to storytelling? Yes. My mom was in the Army for 20 years, so I grew up uh, all over the world in the seven seas. I Most of my childhood, actually my formative years, were spent in Germany. So from two to, age two to five and then age eight to 15, I was in Germany, and it was a really good experience. So I got to travel all around Europe and things like that, not only for sports, but also for school, for academic reasons. We would read books, and then we would go to the place where the book took place. So, like, we read, we read Anne Frank, and then we went to the Netherlands. We read, the next year, we read The Sound of Music, or the book that The Sound of Music is based on, went to Austria. I then went, then my mom retired in Virginia. And so I would definitely say that growing up as a military brat is what they call them. I grew up as a military brat, so you had to adapt a lot and adapt to the environment around you. You're always on the go and things like that. I think that definitely prepared me for my current career as a journalist, especially a breaking news journalist. But also, I would say just conversations with my mom actually inspired me to be a journalist because anytime I would come to her with like, any of the gossip from the schoolyard or anything like that. She was she would always pepper me with questions and it would get on my nerves. So, you know, you tell her some, a fight happened, for example. Well, what led to the fight? Why were they fighting? You know, what happened after the fight? What, what's the background of these two kids and stuff like that? And I would have to essentially 
give her a verbal story about what happened and things like that. And she would always, she was always asking questions when I told her stuff. And she was always watching the news too. So yeah, I would say that kind of lended itself to my storytelling. So like I always grew up in a very diverse environment around very different, different groups of people, different outlooks on life, different you know, polit political backgrounds, things like that, social economic backgrounds. I definitely uh, noticed that when I got to Virginia from Germany, because in Germany, when you live on post and you go to like a military school, now, by the way, I say military school, but it's not like, you know, VMI or a West Point or anything. Right. It's a public school for kids of servicemen, servicemen and women. And so, yeah, everybody was pretty much equal there like everybody knew what everybody's parents did and stuff like that and if you didn't live on post you live off post i got to virginia and it was very apparent to me at 15 years old the socioeconomic differences between some of the students i had classes with so that was very that was one of the very jarring things but yeah i would definitely say my military background was something that lended itself to storytelling as well as just talking to my mom <laughs> i like that the there's a who what when where why how aspect to gossip right. uh, that needs to kind of be followed uh, <laughs> so all right so from high school to vcu uh, what were the most important things you learned at, at virginia commonwealth first let me i'll tell you how i got to vcu too this kind of goes to the career path thing the reason i went to vcu was because my journalism instructor in high school mr Wagerman, recommended me for what was at the time known as the urban journalism workshop in which they took kids around the metro richmond area they brought them to vcu and for two weeks we were essentially building a student newspaper and at the end of the two weeks you know they print out the paper and everybody sees it they have an awards ceremony all this stuff and so that was my first time seeing a college through an academic lens as opposed to an athletic lens as i told you i ran track in high school so anytime any other time i saw a college campus it was the track so what did I learn at VCU? Obviously majored in journalism. Well, at the time it was called mass communications with emphasis in journalism. And this is how long ago this was, Mark. It was, my emphasis was print and new media or on online media. So yeah, so that's how long ago. They don't even call it that anymore. But some of the most important lessons I learned at VCU were uh, reporting and persistence. Uh, you'll learn this about me, Mark. I tell stories through examples. So well, I tell examples through stories and so, I would have to say a, a perfect example of this persistence and reporting is that VCU with, with our journalism classes, it was just like, you know, the first day you go over the syllabus, the next day they push you out and they're like, all right, write the story. This is the topic. Boom. And so you got to come back within 90 minutes with a story. And so my senior year, I took a class called social media journalism and shout out to Marcus Mesner, Professor Marcus Mesner, who is still at VCU. And that was basically that class has different topics every semester and the semester i did it was the 2013 virginia gubernatorial election that terry mcauliffe won against ken cuccinelli i me and my partner well my partner and i were assigned to try and get an interview with ken cuccinelli and mark when i tell you that how persistent we were in reaching out to his <laughs> to his pr people like we were sending emails every day, calling that number every day. And then finally, we got the email back and it said, Ken Cuginelli is going to be in Chesterfield County. You're going to have 15 minutes. And of course, we got there and they were like, you're going to have 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes before that, you're going to have five minutes. And then we ended up talking to Ken Cuginelli and <laughs> we were the only students in the class to get the to get that interview. And, you know, that was that's something that I'm really proud of. So that's one of the important lessons I learned at VCU to be persistent as a journalist. That's great. And then you make the jump to the pros, essentially. 
that you go to, to two newspapers, the Progress Index, which I don't know, and the Virginian Pilot, which I do. What were the most valuable lessons that you learned there? Treating people as people. I, I think that a lot of, especially a lot of young journalists, they are very like, do the story and that's it, it's done. Working at the Progress Index, which is in Petersburg, Virginia, 30 minutes south of Richmond, my hometown paper, one could say, I was one of three reporters at a, and it was a daily. So <laughs> one of three reporters at a daily and we each covered two localities each. So you can imagine how busy we were. And so just, I, I learned really quickly how to become a very hyper local reporter. And I'll tell you, Mark, I didn't know anything before I got to the Progress Index, which is probably why that was my first job. And so like I had on, on the go, I had to learn how to cover courts, criminal justice, local education, local government, the differences between a, a city council and a board of supervisors and what a county supervisor does versus what a city manager does. And I had to learn all of that stuff on the go. So that's probably one of the important lessons I learned at the Progress Index, how to really cover a community from a hyper-local hyper lens. And then at the Virginian Pilot, as I said, just treating people like people. I was the online and breaking news reporter at the Virginian Pilot, where which obviously means that, not obviously, but which means that I was the night cops reporter, essentially. And so I was always at shooting. Most of the time I was at shootings and stuff like that. I was listening to the scanner. I got really fluent in scanner ear and things like that. And I just learned that I learned how to talk to people during those very intense moments. And sometimes, you know, I'm talking to people or knocking on doors during the worst times of a person's life. And I learned pretty quickly that sometimes people just want to people just want to talk to somebody and like me being that person. So they could talk about their loved one or they could talk about their friend or they could talk about their aunt or niece or their uncle. Like I, I, I was really proud that I was able to give them that platform to do that. From there, you make the jump to CNN and that's a pretty big jump. How did you make the jump? That's a funny story too. So I was, it's through NABJ. So, you know, shout out NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists. It was 2017. I was at, it was, the convention was in New Orleans. The way NABJ works is that they have their panels and stuff like that, but they also have these workshops that you can apply to. So I applied to the CNN workshop <laughs> and I was, I had applied both to the reporter. It was broken up into two parts. It was broken up into the reporter and the producer's workshops. I applied to both. Somehow, some way I got into the producer's workshop. I am not a producer. So we get in there and I figured out I was one of two newspaper people in there. Everybody else comes from a TV background. And I just remember the activities were like, build build a, a show rundown and stuff like that. And people talking about A block, B block, C block stuff. I'm like, what is this? And then we get to the lunchtime panel and they had, it was a, a whole digital panel for the lunchtime panel. I remember each person on the digital panel during lunch, they were like, oh yeah, I used to work at the USA Today. I used to work at the New York Times. I used to work at the Wall Street Journal. And I, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, these are all print folks like me working at CNN. How does that happen? And so immediately during the Q&A portion, I'm raising my hand each time because nobody's really asking questions. So I'm raising my hand each time, like, how can I make my newsroom more digital? You know, I'm trying to get people to use Twitter more in my newsroom. I'm trying to, you know, incorporate Facebook Live. Like, how can I do this? And all the TV people are looking at me like, what station does this guy work at? <laughs> and, so, and so afterwards, they approach me and, you know, I tell them in a very hurried and kind of embarrassed tone. I was like, look, I wasn't trying to, you know, 
talk trash about my paper or anything like that. I just, I'm just really trying to get them to be more digital. And, you know, then they ask the magic question, you know, how are they treating you at the Virginian pilot? And Mark, if they ask you that question ever, you know, that they're trying to poach you. And then that's how I got there. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's absolutely a cue. All right. So for the first two and a half years at CNN, you were a writer. Now you're a breaking news editor. Explain, I guess, maybe the difference between the two jobs in terms of what you do and maybe the, some of the memorable things that you've covered. So as a writer, I was responsible for when I was an associate writer, I was more so I worked on the weekend. So I was more so doing like trend stories and things like that. Stories that I really I remember uh, Twitter was a big tool for me because I was always finding stories on Twitter. And so I would do a lot of trend stories or like stories that were, you know, that were that were trending topics, not very like long form stories, but more so stories that you can like, I remember writing probably like five, six, seven stories a day when I was an associate writer. And then I got promoted to a writer where, of course, I'm still writing, but you more so take a breaking news event and you put it into context. So what does that mean? Like, it's a lot of explainer stories, a lot of sidebars and stuff like that from an actual breaking news event. And then I caught the leadership bug and now I'm a breaking news editor where now I'm on the other side. So I'm curating what's known as the dynamic live experience of the DLE, also known as a live blog. I hope, you know, my bosses don't get mad at me for saying live blog, but just for consumption, it's a live blog. <laughs> Right. And so uh, I I do that and I where there I am. Very, it's very collaborative. So I work with different teams across the network to consistently update uh, CNN's version of Twitter. If you go on to CNN's website right now and you look and you see on the homepage anything that says live story, you click on it, you look at it. It's essentially CNN's version of Twitter. So that's what I work on. And I'm editing those posts. I'm also curating what goes into it, talking with different teams about, you know, does this make a good post? Does it not make a good post? And it's it's a very collaborative position, more so than when I was when I was a writer. Just as examples, that could be anything from like Israel Gaza to mm-hmm. what happened the last couple of days with the Mayorkas impeachment attempt. That probably by the time this plays, it'll be different. But at the, the other night a lot of stuff happened and you're like kind of like managing like what goes where and is this is this legit and that sort of thing yeah i wouldn't say more so is is this legit but is is this something that will service readers in the dle because it's a very reader friendly and it's a very like a lot of people look at the dle from their phone so it's like again it's like twitter so it's like how can we as quickly concisely and as tight as possible disseminate information to people. And so that is what I do on the DLE. Of course, obviously there's fact checking. I'm, I'm an editor now, so I got to fact check it. But yeah, so it's, I would say it's more so of a collaborative, it, it's a collaborative role where I work with a lot of different teams and I'm also curating and determining, and it's, it takes a lot of news judgment to be an editor in this role. So, you know, it's, it's working a different set of muscles than I'm what I'm used to working. So, you know, I enjoy it though. Sure. And like just using the what's happened recently as an example, the Senate thing is playing out and someone says this and someone says that and someone does this. You've got to decide essentially what takes priority, like I I presume from from that. What's the what's the key to doing the job well? The key to doing the job well is it's news judgment and speed. 
and knowing when to move, knowing when to move at a certain speed. Because a lot of people come and work with us at the DLE and they think they got to move a thousand miles per hour, like every second. And it's, 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 it's not like that. It's also, it also requires a lot of preparation. There's a, we're in a lot of meetings all the time and things like that, like planning ahead for things like, for things like other things that we cover include like award shows and things like that. So like I worked on the Golden Globes and the Met Gala. I'm not a fashion person in any sense of the word, but that was pretty fun. Um, And so, yeah, so speed and accuracy, but obviously accuracy comes first. And then also in my role, I do a lot of mentoring. So it's a lot, a lot of writers are, a lot of writers who come and work for the DLE or who volunteer for the DLE, it's their first time writing. So I really enjoy the mentoring aspect of this. Like I like seeing, I like giving a writer feedback and seeing them use that actual feedback in the DLE. So yeah, that's 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 what you need for this job. So let's use that as a way to transition to what you do for the NABJ. You're the vice president of digital for them. What exactly do you do, you do in that role? Uh, it's a it's a, it's a it's an advocacy role. So a lot of people, it's funny. So I'll say what I don't do, and then I say what I do do. So a lot of people think you know I'm responsible for NABJ's website and social medias and stuff like that. No, <laughs> that's not what I do. There's a person that's paid to do all that stuff. I am like other board members, I'm responsible for being kind of like the face of NABJ as well as advocating for members. In my case, advocating for digital members. So providing and coming up with trainings and things like that for our digital members to make robust programming for our digital members. I'm also responsible for working and collaborating with other committees and task forces in order to bring programming to our members not only digital but print and print and our, our our broadcast members our members as a whole basically and then i also am responsible you know fundraising and then just just making sure that the the organization is running smoothly and things like that there's elections every 2 years so i'm in my second term right now i was first elected in 2021 so i'm in my second term which ends in 2025 and uh, yeah, it's, and also meeting with, I said advocacy, that's a really big part of it. So meeting with big outlets, big and small outlets, to be honest, to see how they're treating their black employees and their black reporters, reporters, black editors, and just ensuring the biggest part of my role is ensuring that black journalists have access to things that they otherwise wouldn't have had. I'll use myself as an example. Like I said, I went to NABJ in 2017, was in the CNN workshop. I was in the work. The person that spoke to me was the CNN, the CNN digital managing editor at the time. There was also the VP of programming that was there. And that's just, those are just two people I would have never run into, like in my regular journalism career. And NABJ provided that for me. So those are the type of things that we do. Paying it forward. And I imagine mentoring too. Yeah, I yeah, I have a lot of mentors. Shout out to all the mentors out there. M- mentors, and I have a lot of mentees. Shout out yep. to all the mentees that I have. Uh, yeah, no, I'm always down to help journalists because I want to. There's a lot of things that I wish I had had coming up, especially to this point in my career. And so I think I forget who said it to me, but uh, some a quote that I really remember from one of my friends was like, "The best part about being a mentor is giving someone something that you didn't have coming up." And so I take that really serious. And yeah. What are the organization's priorities for the year? 
Making sure that our uh, that black journalists, especially those that have been laid off at the various outlets that have been having layoffs over the last six months, making sure that they are good to go. So we have like a fund set up for those journalists. For journalists, this is just an example, but it's 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 for journalists. It's for journalists industry wide, not just at these outlets, but these are the ones that have had layoffs recently. So like at the LA Times, Sports Illustrated, Time. And so we, we're just making sure that they're good. Also, you know, making sure that we execute a successful Chicago convention, the conventions in Chicago this year, obviously also a presidential year. So, you know, that's going to be big. Politics are going to be big this year. And then, of course, Mark, is the magic letters of AI, artificial intelligence. That's always on our mind. And so we're partnering with different organizations to show our journalists that it's, it's nothing to be scared of and that you need to accept it. We're, we're at this crossroads right now, Mark, where like, I feel like I say like 15 years ago when social media first became a thing. And then 30 years ago, when the internet first came out, we're at that crossroads right now. And it's very, it's, it's interesting to be like conscious that we're in that crossroads and figuring out where to go. Cause people are scared and we're trying to show our members that AI is nothing to be scared of. Right. There are different levels of it. Essentially, there's the level of it that tells you how to drive when you're when you're driving your car. And then there's the level of it that I think that people get nervous about when they see that it can write stories for you. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and that's the part that I think that that you're dealing with. You mentioned all the some of the disheartening things that are we're dealing with, particularly with the layoffs at, at the LA Times, the messenger going out of business, Sports Illustrated all the stresses of the job, lack of trust. You're a VP in a prominent affinity organization. Give me a story or an anecdote or something to feel hopeful about. I would say that there are still, like, what, what keeps me hopeful in journalism is that there are still people out there, even though, you know, you have these outlets going out, you have these layoffs happening. And journalism has never been, in my opinion, more important uh, you have a lot of people that will call themselves journalists. You have a lot of people who will say, you know, they have sources and things like that. You have a lot of people on the other side, a lot of readers and consumers of news who just want to get their news that agrees with them. <laughs> and so what keeps me hopeful is that there are still people, i.e. me and you and other journalists, who know the importance of our job and the weight that our job has on the public so it makes me feel good when i see when i see like the new york times or the washington post do stories they started doing this in like 2020 when they start doing stories about here's how we did this story to break it down for folks and you know it's it's very interactive with the public now so that way it like the even though you know we get called fake news and things like that the public can know how we do things to so to improve that trust that that's what i would say that that's that, off the top of my head that's what i would say like just that people are still persevering through all the nonsense that's happening and so yeah a lot of it's a lot of discouraging stuff out there. It's it's very hard to stay positive. Yeah. Uh, transparency you brought up as a, as an issue. It sounds like you're passionate about that as an issue. What's another uh, industry issue that you're particularly like that really gets you gets you uh, interested or excited? I'm really big on like I was about to say the wrong word, but I'm really big on pathways. 
you know, that used to be called something else. But I'm really big on I'm really, really big on pathways for journalists, especially pathways into leadership. NABJ was one of the reasons why I got interested in, in leadership in journalism. It actually was responsible for so me becoming the VP of digital and seeing how everything I was doing was essentially managerial work. And I, I remember thinking to myself, Mark, I was like, huh, I'm pretty good at this stuff. I can get paid for this. And then once I go on the other side into management, I see how little of black and brown people there are in management. And like, there's a lot of, a lot of people want to get into journalism from what I've seen. A lot of people want to get into journalism because, you know, they want to be in front of the camera. They want to have a byline and stuff like that. But people don't understand that, you know, being a section editor or being a managing editor or being an executive producer or being a, or being a editor in chief, like that's really important. And I could probably count on like barely two hands, how many managing editors and, and executive ed black ex managing editors and executive editors there are. But it's really important to have those voices in the room because when you get into those rooms and decisions are being made about what to cover, how to cover it. And, uh, I was doing that as a writer. So like, you know, I would talk with editors about stuff, how to cover things as a writer. But when you're in those decision-making rooms, that's when, that's when I think, that's what I think it's important. So I'm really passionate about black and brown folks getting into leadership positions in journalism. And advocacy you talked about, it sounds like your advice to younger people would be, advocate and get involved, ask questions. Yeah, yep. and ask questions. And then I also want young people to understand that there's more in journalism than being an editor or a reporter. There's so many people I've talked to at CNN who like, I talk to them and they say, oh, you know, I originally wanted to be a on-air reporter, but then I realized, you know, I could be like a video producer or I could be like a field producer or things like that. And, you know, like the sky was the limit after that for them. Whereas like, you know, you want to be a reporter, like nothing wrong with being wanted to be a reporter or a correspondent. But for some people that it's like you hit a ceiling and then that's it. Whereas there's so many other avenues you can go in in journalism. Like I just want young people to understand that coming into this industry. I'm curious, this relates to you personally with all the disheartening things and the stress of working at a place like CNN. I know that when I worked, bringing back my job again, working at ESPN was very high stress, live TV live anything very unnerving and it got to me at times uh, how do you manage your mental health you gotta you gotta have you gotta you I, I wrote down news blackout but what i mean by that is like when you're off and i can't stress this enough to anybody who's listening when you're off actually be off i have friends that are always on their phones that are always you know looking at news and i was told probably like my first year at cnn like when you amir if you're off be off, don't look at news, turn the notifications off, things like that. Of course, like with big things, I'm going to know what's going on. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really important to, you know, separate yourself from the job. You, you got each person has to find their own things, like how, what to do outside of news and stuff like that. For me, I go to the gym, I go on hikes. I still like telling stories. I like how stories work. So I go to the movies a lot. I like TV shows. I watch, you know, stuff on Netflix, Hulu's, but yeah, finding an avenue through which you can just be yourself and not like uh, you, the journalist, that that's really important in order to deal with all the doom and gloom that's going on. Uh, the NABJ convention, I have you, you mentioned it before. You mentioned 
the one the ones that have been done under your administration. What's an NABJ convention like for someone who might want to attend? It's a it's a great convention. I would say that people will be overwhelmed by how many people are there, but it's the best way to describe it is like it's it's a think of any regular work convention mixed with a an HBCU homecoming. So it's like a, and plus so it's a convention plus an HBCU homecoming plus a family reunion. That all mixed in the one, it is it is a great time on the professional side. It's not just like the parties and stuff like that. Obviously that takes place, but it's also about like the networking. Like you meet so many people and I said this before Mark, but you meet so many people that you would not have access to like outside of the convention. I remember walking around with uh, my boy once around the career fair floor and we run into Dean Baguette. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but we New ran York into Times, yeah. yeah, the New York Times chief that well was the New York Times chief. But yeah, we ran into him and just had a conversation with him. That is never going to happen <laughs> like in my life. And it's just <laughs> great to have those conversations with him. And then there's like journalism journalists on of his caliber just walking around talking to people and it's it's great. So the networking aspect of NABJ is great as well as like the panels and workshops and things like that. Like I told you, I got my job through a workshop, but there's plenty of people who have gotten jobs and been successful through NABJ. And it's just like a, it's, it's you know, go, to go back to the family reunion thing, like I said, it is like an actual family. So like you get there and they welcome you with open arms. People will welcome you into their groups and things. And it's just, it's, it's such a great atmosphere. And like, I always feel rejuvenated after a convention. So that's why I hurt my soul in 2020 and 2021 when it was virtual. And when we got back and funny enough, the first one, the first in-person convention was in Vegas. So that was, <laughs> that was a time. And then we went to Birmingham this past year. And that I like the smaller, more intimate conventions. This next one's in Chicago. It's probably going to be a lot more intimate than Vegas, but not as intimate as, as Birmingham, but it's still, you still get that, like I said, family reunion, job convention and HBCU homecoming all in one. Awesome. Sounds terrific. Let's close with two things. One, how has being a journalist shaped how you view the world? Well, I, <laughs> I, I view, the, I view things more analytically now in journalism and journalists in general, you know, you have to be a very critical thinker. So I, I like when something happens, I don't just say, I don't just react to it. I, I think about to go back full circle, to go back to me talking to my mom about gossip. You know, I think about what led to this. How does this affect everybody? I'm having all these things going through my mind at once. So I would say I've become a way more analytical person in being a journalist. And then to close, we always ask journalists, the show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization besides the NABJ and besides CNN that you would like to salute for their good work? Yeah, every local outlet that is every hyper-local outlet like the Progress Index that's out there right now that has survived through COVID, that has survived through layoffs and things like that, and they're still doing the work to cover small communities so they don't become news deserts. That, that's who I give a salute to. Cool. Amir Vera, Vera, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck. We'll certainly be following both CNN and what the NABJ is doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. 
You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.